Right to Axe the Pod listeners, welcome back. Today, we are talking to Laura Frankovich, who is the head of U.S. general liability at Hiscox. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being on. We really appreciate it. So I, I like to start out these these interviews and just kind of get the audience maybe a little bit familiar with with you and your background. I was reviewing your your LinkedIn page, which is my only source for biographical <laughs> information. But I see you did not necessarily begin your career in insurance, uh, maybe more on the financial side. Why don't, why don't you tell us about kind of where it all started? Yeah, of course. So yeah, so my insurance life started with uh, General Re in Italy, actually. But that was after after two years I spent with Citigroup. So I actually graduated. So going going back even even further, I graduated law in in Italy, and um, and I actually wanted to be a, a lawyer. But you know, it's not it, the Italian job market is not quite as you know the job markets we are used to in the Anglo-Saxon world. So you kind of have to have to take what comes your way, and you can't choose that much. So Citigroup just kind of you know I came across Citigroup. They had a really good uh, graduate program, so I I you know got got uh, got onto that. But then after a couple of years, uh, you know, this job uh, opportunity with with General Lee came up, and um, as I as I read the 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 job spec, I just thought this is so me, you know, applied and luckily got the job. So I spent um, the first four years of my of my career with General Lee in Milan, but at the same time I got you know being generally the the biggest uh, you know US reinsurer um I got all of my training in the US so as I joined I got shipped to Texas actually to Dallas for 8 weeks uh, just to do their internal training program called the jump school so that's where I learned you know everything I know about insurance and reinsurance and policy wordings and everything really the jump school. What? Where does the name come from? Do you know? The jump school. I don't know. You just kind of, you know, jumping, jumping, jumping off point of some kind. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was great fun. I mean, I'm, I'm so fond of that program, and you know, and, uh, and I think at, at the time, probably. So this would have been 2003 at the time. I think January had probably one of the best training programs in the market. You know, so it was, it was, it was really, really valuable and taught me, taught me a lot, and. Uh, and then from there, I uh, I went back to Italy, but then again, spent a lot of time in the UK uh, getting trained and, and just essentially everywhere across Europe, because, you know, you you we are kind of similar age. And you, you remember at that time, it was all learning from people that were more senior than you and sitting with them and doing stuff with them. So that's how I learned, yeah. so, you know, through, through, you know, from those more senior underwriters. And then kind of jumping to more recent times. Uh, so then in 2007, I moved over to London. So I got a job again with January in London. And then I spent 12 years uh, really working on, you know, casualty FAC reinsurance. Uh, so individual deals really coming from any insurance company located in the UK or, or Ireland. And that's where, you know, part of what I did was, again, a lot of US GL, you know, different attachments, different type of business, but also US ENO and DNO and MedMal and Auto and you name it, right? So about 14 different lines of business. And then I did with January still uh, two years of treaty insurance, uh, so casualty treaty, including US. And then finally, in, in March 2019, I moved across to, to Hiscox to join the US general liability team as a senior underwriter. And yeah, the rest is history from there, really. It's been, it's been a super fun ride. I can definitely say that. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, it sounds like you had a lot of maybe good mentor relationships and learning on the ground, especially kind of jumping right into insurance. Um, although you're in a, you know, another financial 
kind of a financial uh, profession before that, there's, a, I'm sure, a lot of similarities there between the two. But your jumping off point, you know, again, the jump jump school, but your jumping off point, you kind of got right into it. So you went from facultative reinsurance to treaty to, you know, just, you know, regular insurance. Are there, what have you, you know, experienced in terms of kind of the differences between those industries, the you know, professions, the, uh, the the reinsurance side versus the insurance side? And how do they, how do they compare? How do they differ? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. You know, I think when you, when you work for an insurance company, I, I always describe it a bit like, you know, you you have a view of the wood and the different trees in in that wood, and you have that you know really uh, incredible privilege to just observe the wood. So you're kind of observing observing all of your insurance companies, and you just see pretty much what everyone is doing. And you know, and they kind of these trees kind of change through seasons, and they're all in a different phase in a different season. And you have yeah that that wonderful privilege of reading there you know, strategies for the year, knowing exactly what they want to achieve, what the, what the problems are. So you're seeing, you know, the historical issues, you're seeing the, you know, the, the desire, the what they want to do, how they want to grow. Whilst when, when, you, when you work for an insurance company, uh, you kind of, you know your tree, you're a tree, and you know that tree incredibly well. You know, you know what it's nurturing it, you know its roots, you know, you know, the leaves, you know every single thing really, really well. But then you don't have that perspective of the of the wood as much as you do in reinsurance. And that's probably the, the biggest difference, really. And there's pros and cons of, of both, you know. I do miss that wider wider view, which is you know, which is where I'm kind of naturally driven to. So, which is why I always I love trends and I love you know future forecast and I love kind of strategy and portfolio management and stuff like that because that comes from that enjoyment of the world, right? But then at the same time, it's lovely to think about how do I nurture my little tree that I have, you know? Um, I think we definitely got a podcast title out of this metaphor somewhere, so uh, yeah, the forest yeah. for the trees or something. So yeah, it's gonna play yeah. into that. Exactly. Uh, and, that, and that's, really, a, that's a great metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the really big thing, Brandon, for me, and I don't know if I may, ever mentioned that to you. So Genry is the only company out there not dealing with brokers. So everything I did was direct. Uh, so then all of a sudden I stepped into Lloyd's where, you know, there's obviously brokers are a massive part of what we do. And, you know, that was a completely unknown world to me. So, you know, at that time, although I had, you know, 17 years of insurance experience, I barely had heard of like Marsh and somebody called Aon, which I was, you know, used to pronounce I've in a never, way. never heard of them. Yeah, exactly. So kind of, you know, massive learning curve really from there, you know, to learn about the different distribution networks and the different, you know, different companies in the chain and who does what and everything. And it's, it's been, it's been, you know, it's been a hell of a ride really. Yeah, no, that's great. You know, I think there's, there's obviously a lot of complications today that come from the pandemic that we're dealing with right now. But I I think one of them, and it, it sounds like that you're working on this as well, just looking at your profile here, but is just you know getting educating today's youth and today's college and university students in terms of introducing them to you know this attractive you know I find it an attractive you know, profession you know I always say that it's kind of like a, a cocktail party killer conversation usually because you know at least in the U.S. insurance equates to you know progressive commercials and slogans and things that you see on television. Whereas, obviously, as you just laid out, there's a lot more to it, and it's it really is an interesting profession, and it kind of deals with the depths of you know society as a whole. If you if you start looking at that bigger picture, because it's really involved with every nook and cranny. I see your 
you're involved with coaching of secondary schools through or had been or are today uh, with with City Group or other institutions. How have you found that you know the younger generations are observing and wanting to get engaged into the insurance space, especially in light of a pandemic? Yeah, it's it's a very good question. I uh, I completely agree with you that it is a bit of a conversation stopper at uh, at uh, parties. I used to say when people would ask me what what do you do, in particular because I had a friend who was a stunt choreographer. So if we were oh. at the same party, nobody would ever talk to me. Basically, <laughs> it was way more interesting than me. You know, I used to say because I couldn't explain to people like, "Yo, I do fucking insurance." Like, what? You know? So I would right. say, "I'm a consultant. I consult." Yeah, <laughs> Talent protection, you know, it's yeah. a bit kind of funky. Uh, and then people will say, oh, do you work for, you know, McKinsey? I'm like, no, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the coaching and the mentoring is actually a big part of who I am and my values, I guess. You know, I, maybe because of my own, you know, journey, I'm, I'm just like really interested in, in finding out, you know, what makes people take and, you know, what's their talents, what's kind of, you know, what kind of lights them up, you know, and, and helping them in finding what that is. Because I know from my, my own experience, once you do that, you know, your life is just, you know, so much better, you know, and you can do so much more with, with your capabilities, really. So I'm, I am engaged quite a bit in coaching and mentoring internally within Hiscox. I do it externally as well. And we quite, we quite, um, I feel quite lucky because within Hiscox, we have a few charities that we work with, which are actually trying to bring more diversity uh, into, into the, the insurance industry as well. So effectively approaching people that would never had, you know, that never have had or, 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 you know, just don't have the opportunity to meet anyone that works in insurance who can talk to them about, you know, how fantastic it actually is and, and kind of, you know, get them to think about it really. You know, but I, I do think, you know, working in insurance is a massive, uh, it's a massive hidden gem. Uh, people, you know, everyone thinks about banking is cool. I think insurance is way cooler. You know, once you go past that question of, oh, do you do car insurance? And, you know, right. why is my premium right. going up all the time? There's so much more behind it. And it's a, it's a career path and it's a, it's a career I would recommend to anyone because I just think it's so much fun. You know, there's, no day is the same and we, we have to all use so many different skills that we have from, you know, people skills to presentation, to research, to analysis, to, you know, future forecast. It's fantastic. You know, you, you can never learn, you know, you're never going to learn everything that you need to know. So, yeah, I would definitely recommend it to anyone, really. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I, I mean, I, I think everybody in insurance probably didn't grow up thinking they're going to be in insurance. I know exactly. that I didn't. Everybody kind of falls into it backwards, but I think it's a hidden gem for sure. It's when once you get there, you kind of figure it out, and maybe that's a good thing. I don't that it's a hidden gem, uh, keeping out the riffraff. But I think in general, it would be nice to not have that kill a cocktail party conversation. So, yeah, if you true. have any tips on how to explain what you do, you tell me, <laughs> and then we can we can uh, we can figure it out. Yeah, and, and the one thing, Brendan, just to add on that, you know, the one thing I didn't mention is really the people, right? So people like, you know, people like us in our little group of, you know, GL underwriters, at least in London, we all know each other. We, you know, we all know all the brokers and there's a group of, I don't know, 200 of us all together, you know, the amount of fun and bantering and going out all together, you know, knowing each other's families, each, other, each other's kids, kids is massive. So it's just yeah. like a really lovely community you know, and uh, so that's a big part of it as well. You know, I do feel I'm, I'm part of a community and it's it's a nice community where people look after each other. Yeah, I've definitely got that sense, especially, I mean, that that's true in the U.S. market as well. I would definitely say 
you know, I, I tend to work probably more in the London market than I do in the US market. So I would say that's probably more true in London. You know, in, on that, you know, obviously the market has changed a lot of, you know, over, you know, you mentioned before, we're probably similar ages. You know, I wasn't, we weren't around for the, you know, the 1980s difficulties and the hard market there. But, you know, what's your kind of take on the current market conditions as it is relative to, you know, when you started? And how are you kind of, what's your, you know, how are you taking it all in, you know, as you kind of look at it from, you know, the, your perspective, the head of U.S. liability at yeah, Scox? It's a very good question. So, yes, I started in 2003. So the last couple of years have been the first true hard market I experienced. There was, you know, maybe a couple of months at some point somewhere in, I don't know, 2005 or something. I don't even remember. There were little pockets of, you know, of of different casualty segments that were going in different directions uh, at some point. But yeah, the last couple of years have been, you know, my first experience. I think, you know, going forward, what I'm expecting is, you know, I don't think that we will see the big swings that we've seen, you know, in the past 20 years. Because if if you imagine, you know, this kind of curve on a graph, right, the swings were quite, the waves, the waves were quite big, quite steep increases, steep decreases, and over long periods of time. I think a lot has changed that that will impact that not happening going forward. And the main thing really is that all of us have access to way more data than we did before. You know, previously, each company kind of operate, operated in its own little world and really didn't have visibility to what was happening in other places. People were not sharing that information and you couldn't, you know, find any joint pots of information that you could access and actually find out more really. Now I think there's way more information out there. You know, there's data that you can purchase from different companies that that will tell you exactly what the trends are. And which means that you can way more, in a way more precise way, price things and also understand what your margins are. So I think going forward, what my expectation is that the swings between, you know, rates going up and rates going down are going to be much smaller, but they're going to happen more frequently. So yeah. that, you know, cycle of 10 years of soft market, I don't don't think we're going to see that. We'll see kind of 24 months going down, 24 months going up, and then, it'll, you know, it kind of level out, I think, over time. So that's that's my, my, my view right now, um, really. You know, obviously, compared to a couple of years ago, there's way more capacity that came back into the market. A lot of new entrants, they're hungry for business. Uh, we're feeling way more the pressure from domestic markets as well. But, you know, all of us really need to write in a profitable way, because if we don't, none of our shareholders or, you know, anyone right. is going to be happy, really. And the reality is that if you're not writing business in a profitable way, it catches up with you really quickly. So any of these guys, you know, as much as they, the new guys, as much as they're hungry for business now, they will have to deal with claims coming through as well. And, you know, with the, with the current current kind of claims, well, economic inflation at six and a half percent in the US, wasn't it um, just published recently? You know, yeah. it's difficult to see how can we actually go into a very different market than the one we're in now. So that's my prediction, really, for the next six, 12 months that, you know, we're going to fluctuate, you know, within kind of closer margins that we did in the, in the past several years. Yeah. The uh, question of inflation brings in other questions, you know, like current open and IBNR, you know, is are there going to be significant increases in reserves and exposure based on the fact that it costs more, you know, to defend it just based on inflation alone. 
and not social inflation, just inflation. Is that something that is, and I haven't heard it talked about a lot uh, on the, uh, just uh, in the insurance industry, but is that something that's being looked at more internally now than, than it was just given what the yeah. U.S. East is going through? Yeah, so the really good question. So, you know, we look at the historical data again, you know, Hiscox, our, our portfolio was set up in 2016. So compared to some other companies, we, you know, obviously don't have 20 years of data that we can look into, you know, your Lex and, you know, AIG and Axel and Aspen might have, you know, will have longer, longer data, their own data that they can look into. But from the data that we purchased, and we purchased, you know, data from two different sources, really, you know, our actuaries kind of calculate that the claims inflation from 2014 to now is about 7% a year. So that claims inflation includes, you know, the economic inflation within it, which is one and a half to 2%. That was the range during that time. So that number is now six and a half, which means that the seven is not going to be a seven anymore. It'll end up being, you know, a 12 or something like that, right? Yeah. So, you know, exactly what you're saying. So if I'm pricing my business now, but I'm going to actually pay the claim five, six years from now, and the inflation continues at this level, or, you know, there's this very quickly, I'm going to go into a deficit. So I think the biggest questions that the biggest question that any insurance company needs to answer at any point in time is, you know, how much margin do I have within the within the portfolio that I write? And I think, you know, the last couple of years with the price increases that we experienced, I think we achieved a bit of margin, you know, I don't know what that is because we're just working it through right now. It's very difficult to establish it, you know, but that margin is, I don't know, five, 7%, you know, I don't know. We've been seeing from October this year, the rating has really slowed down and, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of zero, if not, if not going into negatives, that means in a very short space of time, you're going to eat up that margin that you have. And at the same time, you have this economic environment outside, which you know, is pulling in a different direction. So this is why I'm saying it's going to go, you know, it's going to go a bit down now and then really quickly up because it'll just catch up with people really, really quickly. Right, right. It's going to be, there's going to be kind of rear view mirror examination just going and just because, you know, there's that lag time between when the claim is made and when it's paid. And yeah, there's probably some realization that happens in there to, uh, to true up those basically. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I was I was looking into a, an account today where they still have open claims in year 2009 and year 2011, 40% of their claims are still open. So then imagine you priced for you priced that business in 2011, you're paying your claims now. You know what I mean? The, the difference is stark. You know, you're probably going to yeah. pay more than double than it would have been at that time. So that's that's the challenge of the long tail business, isn't it? Yes. You know, and the fascination of it, because it's a big problem to solve, you know, um, and that's, you know, that's going back to what what makes, um, you know, makes me me happy to work within this segment is stuff like this. It's a big problem, you know, and yeah. how, how you can solve it in the best possible way you can. Yeah, it's definitely a problem solver's dream to, you know, to work in a space like a space like yours, for sure. I'll get off the topic of kind of rates and market here in a second. But what do you, if you could point to something, and obviously there's words thrown around a lot, social inflation, you know, nuclear verdicts. Is there something that when you kind of look out and look back, is there something that you think is primarily responsible for kind of the sudden abrupt increase in, in rates that we experienced the last 12 to 18 months? 
Yeah, so, you know, rate increases do not happen in a vacuum, right? If we are making money, we don't have any need to be changing anything, right? So, you know, the increases have happened because the world around us has changed. And, the, you know, meaning that the society around us has changed. And that goes back to everything that's been driving the social inflation. You know, all of the things that we that we, that we talk about so so much, you know, the claims financing wasn't there before, now it is. You know, and and a bunch of other bunch of other factors, as we know, behind it. So it's really, you know, we yeah, if things were functioning properly, we wouldn't need to change anything. So we simply react to the change of environment around us. You know, so that's that's the that's the that's the drivers really is the societal changes around us that change the environment that we operate within and ask more of us financially, right? Yeah. So I have a theory, and I, I think you know that I spent probably 10 years of my career as a risk manager for a, a ladder company. We saw a lot of trials, a lot of a lot of defense verdicts, a couple of plaintiff's verdicts over that time. What I didn't see a lot during those years, and that was from you know, 2004 to 2012 timeframe or some, somewhere in there, was the kind of the at least the US political polarization. So yeah. my theory, and I don't know how true this is or not, uh, and it's not uh, siding with one side or the other, but what I've just witnessed in a lot of clients having trials and, and observing uh, what's going on in loss reports is there tends to be some sort of polarizing topic in these trials, whether it's foreign manufacturer or corporate disdain or you know just angry juries in general. I'm just wondering if it's been a topic at any uh, dinner parties that you've been to in the insurance world, just how that might play into what we've seen from a verdict perspective too, which has obviously played a major role in some of the some of the cost increases that we've seen. Yeah, it's 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 a really really fair observation. So we recently actually had a seminar. Um, so every every autumn we we host a seminar together with uh, Kennedy's, who the, who's the main law firm that we use um, for our claims management. And this time we actually also had one of our other partners called Predicate. And it's actually Kennedy's view that, yes, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the core decisions that we're seeing are driven by, as you say, but these polarized opinions, really, the people being frustrated with certain things and kind of almost like lashing out on something else. So yeah. I do think, you know, we, we, we do live in a world that, you know, if, if, you, if you rewind back and go back 25 years, you know, you were used to keeping your opinions to yourself a bit more. Now we share our opinions, you know, on social media, right? right. And so people are more, are more, you know, feel more empowered to, to share. And also, you know, I think in particular the younger generation, the, the very noble generation, because they believe they can change things. And this is maybe their way to signal a change is needed of some sort. So there's a lot of, you know, really sociological reasons behind, you know, the, the social inflation, really, societal and sociological. So, yeah, definitely, I do think that polarization does impact things, for, for sure. Yeah. Circling to kind of the future of insurance, talk about data, there's obviously a lot of discussion just in general around jobs and kind of the future of jobs, future of work. As you look at things like data, autom- you know, automation, uh, AI, you know, there's already been some changes. I, I mean, I think Lloyd's Lloyd's alone has a, a syndicate that is or is it a Canadian-based uh, Fairfax and Google yeah. syndicate, right? That has a, an an AI, basically fully AI underwriting team or something or underwriting yeah, yeah. mentality. 
how do you see this playing into the kind of future of underwriting from your perspective? Obviously, when you start dealing with very complex risks, I think AI probably is overshadowed by, you know, you know, having that kind of face-to-face, belly-to-belly type of role that Lloyd's has had in the past. But there's got to be some changes that are on the horizon, too, with that. How do you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you know you you absolutely right in in everything you said. You know, I think there is scope for uh, AI and more kind of automated underwriting within the simple things. You know, the simple type of business, and and I don't think it's gonna go in that direction at any time soon within the complex stuff. So luckily, we we what we do is complex. So our jobs are probably gonna stay the way they are until we retire. But I think there's a lot of streamlining you can do and a lot of automation you can do within the simple stuff. So Hiscox as as a company, so within the Hiscox group, we are just one element of it because we are, you know, Hiscox syndicates only, but there's other companies within the group and specifically Hiscox US is focused on kind of small businesses, really. And I believe at this point in time is the market leader on the, you know, small business, but sold in what they call or what we call a digital way. So that's as close as possible to that, you know, automated underwriting, really. So that's the future. That's where Hiscox as a group is investing most of our profits, really, just to get that side of things really grow. But I don't see that translating into what we do, you know, because as you know, the the complex stuff that we do is where, you know, the technical expertise is required, where, you know, structuring the deal in different ways is required, where, you know, all of the knowledge that you have is required. So much so that even when we think about the type of people that we need in the team, you know, ideally we would have everyone with eight eight plus years of experience because you need that expertise to deal with stuff that we deal with. Yeah. So I'm not, you know, I'm seeing it definitely as the future for the insurance industry, but not for all of it really. Yeah. And I think that seems to be consensus among most people I talk to. It's hard to imagine a client, you know, client on my side, the broken side, it's hard to ever imagine a, you know, client not having a trusted advisor involved in the uh, transaction, I think it's probably becoming more important just because of all the elements that are, you know, changing the world from data to relationships to, you know, the market capital and capacity that's out there. And there's there's more to know than ever, I think, right now. So I see that the same way. But I, yeah, I think there's definitely a level of insurance that's becoming more automated. And that's probably a good thing for that. I know you got a hard stop here, so I'll let you go after uh, one more question. Yeah. Obviously, we're in this COVID world. We've been talking about it for too long. Uh, I'm tired of talking about it. But how how do you think it has changed you and how you know how how business is done at Hiscox and kind of the, going forward? How how do you think it's how do you think it'll change the way you work? Yeah. So good good question again. So I think you know within within the London market and the different companies in the London market, I think Hiscox is is a very progressive company. I, you know, before I joined, I, you know, because I had that view of the wood, right? I kind of, right. you know, knew where my, you know, what my values are and which company has similar values to me. And I chose actually Hiscox because of that progressive attitude. And that really came through when the pandemic even started. Uh, so I think we were at home maybe for like a month and the CEO, uh, Bronick, that we had at the time, he, he's now retiring. He just sent an email out to everyone just saying, you know, I encourage you to think, how is this going to change the way you work going forward? For example, for me, I'm only going to come in every other week for a couple of days. So he like really pushed the boat out. And I think at that point in time, any of us were, you know, we all were scared to say, oh, maybe I want to be at home a day a week or something. You know, nobody would say that because it just didn't feel like the thing you should say. 
And, you know, so I think it really changed, you know, massively changed the way we work. So we, you know, we've, we've been predominantly working from home for what, 18 months. We went back this September. And since then, um, Hiscox established um, kind of this four groups of four job groups, really. Uh, and those job groups are, you know, based on how much time you spend at home and how much time you spend in the office. So for us, it's flexible two to three days in the office and the rest of the time at home. But then we work obviously around the clients that fly in from the US. So if anyone is in on the days you're not supposed to be in the city, you obviously do go to the city, right? So we we quite we were quite flexible. I think our IT has always been really good. So we, you know, when we started working from home, it was completely seamless, like nothing's changed. You know, literally we had all the equipment at home, everything was set up already for for most people. So it's been overall, it's been a really good experience for us as a as a company. It's quite difficult to think in terms of getting stuff done the the bits that are challenging and you know everyone says the same is uh, it's really difficult to onboard new people and train new people because you know you can't replace that you know in person teaching and learning really and at the, at the same time you know you can't build relationships with you know people like like you guys you know like this i mean we can but it's never going to replace spending a night out in Mayfair together, right? And just right, kind of right. bouncing around and bantering about stuff, you know? So it's it's an efficient way to get stuff done, but you can't replace the human contact. And me personally, it changed me, I think, quite a lot. I don't think I would have been able to, to do the role that I did this year with the amount of work that we had and the changes that we had in our team had I not been at home. Because I, I just know I just don't know how I would have done it with the travel and everything else, right? So it did it did do a lot for 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 me from that that point of view. And on a, on a personal level, you know, I was kind of hoping that by the time I retire, I might at some point, if I play my cards well, maybe go down to kind of three days a week in the office and the rest of the time at home. But it was like you know, like really thinking about celebration. How am I of that dream. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How am I going to work this out? And it's probably only going to happen, you know, like five years before I retire. And guess what? It happened now. Silver lining. Yeah. Yeah. So just completely resolved my, uh, you know, my big problem. So, uh, so yeah, so it's been good. I, you know, I, I like this new, this new, this new world, really. I do. Well, good. Well, I, speaking for myself and my team, I know we, we love working with you. I really appreciate you you being on the podcast and uh, look forward to seeing you next time you're you're here or I'm I'm over there. I'm sure we'll talk in between. But thanks thanks again for being on the podcast. Thank you so much. I look look forward as well to to seeing you as soon as possible in person. Would be really lovely. Sounds good. Thanks, Laura. No problem. <laughs>